0: So Morris Wheeler presenting on the anatomy of children's fandom. Thank you very much. I feel pressure enough because I'm following someone who used the word eutemonia in the presentation. (laughs) God, I don't even know what that means. so thank you very much. Um, thank you very much for coming. So um, uh, my name is Maurice Wheeler uh, with Kids Industries. It is now the second time I've said that to a room of people. Um, the, we merged together um, the two businesses of the Little Big Partnership and Kids Industries um, officially on Tuesday. So we are now a combined uh, strategy, research, insight and creative development team, a kind of complete integrated agency. But what I'm here to talk to you today is I'm here to talk about fans and fandom and the anatomy of a fan and the process that we go through to help uh, our clients and help to help us understand a little bit more about their fan base and what they should and could be doing with it. So over the last year, we've done a lot of work looking at fandom. We've been working with the ECB, helping them understand how they can get more children playing cricket. We've been working with Manchester City, helping them understand their fan base. Cartoon Network, we've been working with Mr Bean. We've been working with a fantastic book brand called Warriors. Um, And over that last year, we've spoken to over 30,000 children on a quant survey basis. We've spoken to over 150, nearly 200 children on a face-to-face qual basis. This is across 140. The, the qual, uh, the quant research was across 140 countries, and we've also reviewed dozens, if not scores, of academic papers and research papers that look into fandom. So we've spent quite a lot of time, kind of really immersing ourselves in what it means to be a fan uh, and what it means for brands to have fans and, and what they can do with those fans. We know that fandom is very important for children. It's, it's really about how they define themselves, um, and it's really about uh, self-definition, self, um, and it's also about how they socialise. It's about the tools that they use to, to talk to their friends, it's the tools that they use to talk to um, their families, and it's also the tools that they use to form other friendships outside of those, form new and exciting friendships. So fandom for children is very important. You know, it's, it's, As I say, it's kind of a fundamental part of their lives, but also fandom for brands is very important as well. You know, your fans are your advocates. They're the ones that are out there sharing stuff. You know, 54% of fans say that sharing their passion is actually, you know, something that they do for relaxation. So they love talking about you. And not only do they love talking about you, when they talk about you, they will sell you better than anybody else can, better than you can ever sell you. So really, they are your kind of prime advocates. They also give you longevity. They give you the benefit of the doubt. They're the ones that will stick with you through thick and thin. They're the ones that give you the benefit of the doubt. They're the ones that will stay with you after your dodgy second album and they'll be there for kind of picking up you on your third album. So these are really important. They make sure that you can have consistent sales and they can predictable sales. So they're very important from a kind of um, consistency standpoint. And then finally, they're the guys that bring you the money. The 80-20 rule, as old as it is, it's true. You know, they are the 20% of your audience that deliver 80% of your profits. In mobile uh, gaming parlance, we have these things called whales. You know, these are the big fans that are the, really the guys that drive your revenue. And this is, what your, this is what these kind of hardcore fans are. So they are fundamentally important. And they're fundamentally important to you as, a, as an IP owner, and they're also fundamentally important to themselves, what that means in, in the world of fandom. So we've created this thing called the fan profiling tool. And I've in also in the spirit of openness, I've provided everybody here with the fan profiling tool. So if you so choose, you can uh, do everything that we're about to say. You can do this for yourselves. Um, so it's got everything you need to do to ask the right questions to help you understand your fan base and to help you build up your own profile of what your fan base looks like and what it means to you. If you don't really want to do that, if you turn over... You've got my contact details, you can call me. Um, So the profiling tool um, is split into three key areas. Uh, Self-formation, so this is about that self-identity and using their fandom as a means of defining who they are. Uh, The second area is looking at interaction moments, and this is really the kind of functions of the fandom. It's It's the logistics of how they engage with you and how you engage with them. Then that third part is the social amplification, how they're using fandom to to form friendships and how their friends are are using fandom as a means of communication and, and tribalism in many respects. So we're going to look at the first bit. This is that self-formation part. This is the bit which is about understanding who I am, that self-identity, that self-development part of what we talked about, which is so fundamental, really, if kids have got a roof over their head and they feel safe and secure and they've got a full stomach, 90% of what they're trying to do as a child is really understand who the hell am I. So really, a lot of children we see are using fandom as a means of being able to understand who they are, a means of forming their own self-development whether it be through badging, literally physically putting the brand there that they love on their chest and kind of walking around and and kind of being proud of it. You know, and badging isn't just necessarily about that kind of feeling proud of it. It's also saying to the world, this is who I am. Judge me based on my fandom. Categorize me based on my fandom. You're using the the identity of the brand in many respects to kind of come onto you, and using that as a means of saying this is this is who I am. Define me and understand me by the brands and by the fans that um, my the things that I am a fan of. The second thing is friends. Birds of a feather stick together. You are defined by your friends. You know, we do very much, again, the people, the friends that we have is very much part of who we are and very much part of our self-definition. You know, and and we do see that kids can be friends with their fandoms. You know, they kids feel like they want to be Taylor Swift's friend. They, They feel like they want to be Peppa Pig's friend. They feel like they want to be in Hogwarts and be friends with all the guys in Hogwarts. You know, they're using friendship and they're using their fandom as a means of kind of friendship. And that's friends by not just saying, well... You know, I want, to, I want to be their friend, but what kind of person do I need to be for them to be my friend? So it's kind of, again, about that self-definition and understanding how their, their friendship might shape that. Burging, or basking in reflective glory. So this is that sense of, you know, if you are a fan of a football club, you feel as elated, you feel as excited in their win as if it's a win for yourself. You're basking in their glory. So you kind of, again, you're beginning to define yourself by, wow, I'm a winner because the thing I am a fan of is a winner. So you are basking in that reflective glory. And that doesn't have to be just a sports team or just a sports personality, it can be anything. Ed Sheeran fans were really pumped when he was playing on the pyramid scale um, stage at Glastonbury because their guy was winning, their guy was out there kind of, and, and so they felt excited. They were doing some basking in reflective glory as well. You know, you see that if their TV shows are doing really well or they've won awards or whatever it may be, they're kind of getting that sense of, like, worth and self-esteem and self-confidence as a reflection of the brands and the fact of their fandom. And then lastly, skill development. A lot of kids use their fandom to help grow themselves, to help improve themselves. In that gaming terminology and gaming parlance, there's this thing called flow, which is about getting that perfect balance between challenge and ability. That moment where you're just doing enough, but it's really still challenging you. And that's a really important part of a child's life is to be in that moment of flow where they're just like, this is hard, but I'm progressing and I'm moving forward. My skills are developing, I'm getting better at stuff. And a lot of children will use their fandom of things to help them grow, to help them get better, to help challenge themselves. Whether that be a fan of a sport, but that can also be the fan of playing uh, piano, uh, as this kid is. Or it could be, you know what, I'm using Taylor Swift again. Maybe I'm a big Taylor Swift fan and and therefore I'm using her as a means to get better at dancing or to get better at singing. So all these things, we see that also in things like Lego. I'm using Lego to get better at that. So they like to see that um, um, uh, progression. So the next part of fandom is the kind of slightly more functional element of fandom and those moments of interaction points between your brand and you and and how you engage with your fans and how your fans engage with you. We've broken those out into five. We've got emotional stimulation. It's that how emotionally stimulating is it for you to engage with your brand? You know, we've got here an example of uh, Hunger Games because that's a kind of quite an emotional storyline, but it could be anything. Don't just think of it as a narrative driven emotional stimulation. It could be for example, we know that kids who love Red Bull might love their Rampage videos online because they're just exciting. And it's not necessarily narrative driven excitement. It's just raw energy and excitement. You know, they might be fans of certain theme parks and roller coasters, again, because of that excitement. So don't necessarily just think of that emotional stimulation as part of a story. It could be any form of emotional stimulation that they get kind of a bit pumped about. The second bit is frequency. So how often do they engage with you? Do they engage with you once or twice or do they engage with you quite a lot? And I'll kind of go into some of the interesting dynamics between emotional stimulation and frequency a little bit later on. Story. How much, is a, of a, how much of the relationship is based around a story? How much are they using story as a means of kind of continuing their ongoing fandom? How much are they saying, well, I really want to know what happens next? You know, I'm a fan of this story. I'm a fan of the emotional stimulation, but I really want to know what happens next product if it's not a story then how else can you engage with somebody well by the means of a product whether that be a plush toy whether that be an iphone product whether that be a games console so again how are they interacting with you is it via story or is it via a product and via a product and physical interaction via a product and then finally participation are they engaging with you because uh, through means that they want to so the participation one is an interesting one because what we look at here is how much can they engage in fandom in a way that suits them Sometimes a lot of brands are quite happy to shut down participation and go, you know what, this isn't what we want, this isn't how we see participation with our brand, therefore we're going to try and stop it. And that's obviously a terrible thing to do, but a lot of brands do do that. So what we're looking at here is how much can somebody interact with you and participate with you in a fan relationship in a way and a means that suits them and suits what they want to do. So whether that be cosplay, whether that be role play, whether that be to make their own uh, poster and kind of share that poster, kind of what is that opportunity to participate in that fandom? so then finally the final part of this the kind of the the, the, the three piece puzzle is that social amplification children use fandom as a means to identify with their friends you know they start off by using it as a means to identify with the family and to bond with the family and we've seen that in, in the research that came out of Ofcom that there was a lot of co-family viewing that they all like to get together and kind of watch the same thing together so they were using the family and interestingly on, but on all of these areas well less so community but particularly on family and friends the fandom can come from from the from the community and and the fandom can also go into the community and what i mean by that is is it could be that somebody's a fan of something and they take that to their friendship group and then all of their friends become fans or it could be that all of their friends are fans of something and therefore that's the way it comes into them so there's a real kind of uh, reciprocal relationship between, between you as the fan and also these, uh, these different social groups. And obviously how much you engage with these different social groups depends on how old you are. Game will kind of go into that in a little bit of um, detail in a second. I think what, um, what we found when we've been doing this fan profiling is it's really nuanced. You've got to be quite careful and not kind of assume one thing. You know, so we saw that it's not, it's quite easy to go, oh, well, you know, obviously to create a good fandom, you need all your friends to like it and then you're done. You know, actually one of the kids there was like going, actually it's not important at all because it's my opinion. So therefore it might be something else. It might be that it needs to be more emotional and that's maybe needs to be the thing. So this is why we've kind of developed this fanship fanship tool because we worry sometimes that people oversimplify fandom and go, well, in the early stages, they need this and in the latter stages, they need this. And, you know, as we've seen from what Jess was talking about, it's just sadly far more nuanced than that. This is not as easy. But hopefully with this tool, we can make it a little bit easier and you can kind of see how it's done. So what I want to kind of talk through here is some of the examples of where we've used this tool and some of the, the ways in which you could use this tool with how you work. So this is a kind of classic example of something like a Sarah and Duck fan. So, This is a young fan, kind of around four, middleweight fan, kind of around 50%, something like that. And what we see here, for example, is we see that there's quite a low emotional engagement, there's quite a low story engagement, because they're you know anywhere between two three four they're not necessarily going to have these huge emotional relationships with with sarah and duck you're not going to have the romance the love the horror the scare the excitement the death you know you're not going to have those big emotional moments it's a bit calmer you can't have those big moments you know and the stories are much you know there's there's not an ongoing story art and an ongoing story narrative where you you have to find out what happens next and that's what's you know keeping your your fandom going So in those situations, quite interestingly, we see when those two are low, we have to rely on frequency because we don't have those big emotional bombs, if you like. So, you know, we we spoke to children who are big fans of BFG, but they don't read BFG every day. They read it every year or they might kind of they might engage with BFG through a film, maybe kind of more regularly, maybe every six months or nine months. But those engagement moments are huge. They're big emotional moments. They're they're kind of big bombs and they go off and they're they're kind of arrested by it. And then that then takes a little while to then die back down again. And then they kind of re-explode that emotional stimulation again. So when that emotional stimulation is really high, you don't need that same level of frequency to in order to kind of engage that fan to kind of keep that fandom going. We also see with these preschoolers, obviously, that family is really important for preschoolers. You know, particularly around something like Sarah and Duck, it's a real kind of co-viewing opportunity. Parents love sitting down with their child and bonding over that moment of engaging in that fandom. And both of them are kind of fans together. We see friend a little bit there. And we also see badging. And badging is kind of striped out because we see this weird thing with preschool where you get a bit of badging by proxy. So what you might see is you might see parents badging their child with Sarah and Duck for a couple of reasons. First of all, because they think their child would want to be branded with Sarah and Duck. They kind of, you know, children at this age, two, three, four, they're not thinking about self-development. They're not wandering around going, you know, what kind of person do I want to be? You know, they're not they're much more just, you know, just going with the flow, but the parents obviously are. So the parents will often brand their child and go, Well, this is the brand that I think my child would want to be, or this is the child, this is the brand that I hope my child would want to be. And also what you see, you know, particularly with some brands like Sarah and Duck, which kind of have a really nice, kind of really family, cutesy kind of vibe to them, is that parents are branding themselves and kind of going, I'm the kind of parent who has a child that likes Sarah and Duck. So you kind of get this branding kind of by by proxy, if you like. But what we do see with this fan profile is it's actually quite a fragile fan profile. When you compare this to some of the other Pramfo fan profiles that we have a bit later, really there's only kind of two or three strands that are pulling this whole fandom on, which means it is quite fragile. If you lose the frequency, if you lose that family bond, ultimately you'll lose the fandom. So it's quite hard, you know, and that's why we see with preschool, we, you know, you have to keep up frequency, you have to, you know, if you're not on every single day at the same time, you know, you might lose that opportunity for that fan to engage. If you've not got product in their home where they're engaging with you on a daily basis, you might lose that fandom. random. So if you compare this to something like a Harry Potter, a kind of mid-weight to upper-weight Harry Potter fan, you can see that that all of a sudden becomes a slightly more robust fan model. There are more of the beams from the sun, are kind of longer. We're actually getting more different ways in which a fan is engaging with you and within which you are engaging with the fan. So we We've seen badging start becoming a thing. You know, around eight is where you're actually beginning to care and you're beginning to use your fandom as a means of communicating with your friends and seeing where you are in that hierarchy. We saw it with some of the fans earlier where they were kind of going, oh, you know, I've read all the books. You haven't read all the books. That makes me better than you. And they're actually using their fandom as a means of understanding where they sit within their group. We also see that emotional stimulation rise and that storyline rise, and which means that we can reduce that frequency. Again, these are kind of mid-weight fans, so they're not engaging every single day. But that you know when they do, they get that big emotional boost, and that enables them to carry on through. We're also seeing things like products starting to come more to the fore. And we're also seeing friends becoming more important. Actually, I just want to focus a little bit in on that kind of social angle just here. It's a relatively obvious thing, but if you then dial down the age and you kind of start talking about six-year-old fans, then really a six-year-old Harry Potter fan is probably going to be driven mainly by their family and, and everyone in the family engaging with it. And as they get older, we see that dynamic shift. We see all of a sudden, as you start getting up to more around 10, that's when that dynamic changes. And actually, what's empowering and amplifying their fandom is no longer their family, although that's not gone away, and that never does go away. But that kind of shifts all of a sudden to all of their friends are then... Oh, actually, all of my friends are Harry Potter fans. So this is what's the thing that's really driving the engine in the social amplification. And then as you get older still, and as you start shooting up towards 14 a lot of the friends might have died away and they're kind of more interested in other things and you're kind of, if you're still going, you need to look for other things. All of a sudden, if you haven't got that friendship, that close kind of friendship group, then you're looking at communities, you're looking at Reddit forums, you're looking at going to Leaky Cauldron and you're looking at going to Pottermore and you're looking at other ways in which you can engage with that fandom. So that kind of shifts as you get a little bit older. Kind of again, that family never goes away. We saw, you know, even when they're 17, they're still engaging with their family and, and helping them with their, with their fandom. So back to the Harry Potter fan. So this is kind of what a medium-weight one looks like. And then if we dial that back down again, look at what a light Harry Potter fan looks like. You know, we're not saying that everything disappears. You know, light Harry Potter fans are still super excited by Harry Potter. They still have a great emotional stimulation. They still love the story, but they're not full-bore Harry Potter fans. They don't have the social amplification. They might not have any friends that are really into it. It's not part of their friendship group. They might not be able to engage with it. They might not be able to have that... Uh, They might not be badging themselves with it. So again, we see this kind of dial down. So not necessarily when you get to a smaller fan, does everything shrink back down again? There might be a couple of strands that stay out there, but it's kind of what you need is that robust fan is the kind of all. So when we start going all the way back out again to kind of our big 90% fan, so these are our super hardcore, all of a sudden all the lines start growing out. But then this, we start entering a slight danger territory because as you get into this territory, you end up with real exclusivity and you end up with over-tribalism. You end up with tribes within tribes. And again, we saw that with some of those fans where some of those kids were kind of going, yeah, but you're not a real fan, so you can't be a fan. So actually, I'm not going to talk to you anymore because you're not one of the true fans. I'm going to talk to these guys over here because these are the true fans. And what we see is extreme fandom can actually be quite negative to a brand because it doesn't enable new fans to come in. So one of the really important things is if you don't control, you don't own that relationship with your fans, or at least you don't have the ability to be able to um, influence that fandom, what you find is that the fans go off and they become really cliquey, and they don't let the new kids in. And you need those new kids. You need the newbies. Everybody needs the new fans in there. So it's really important that you don't let those guys... Those guys, these guys are really important. I'm not dissing these guys at all. I'm just saying that what they can do is they can end up blocking the new fans from coming in. So you need to make sure that you're managing that very well and you need to be aware when this is happening. You need to make sure that you're giving new fans the opportunity to be new fans without feeling like they're getting slapped down as being newbies, which you all often see. We then looked at sports fandom. Sports fandom obviously is, is very rife and very strong within kids. You know, We see the burging becoming particularly important. There's some amazing research out there that says that Whichever was the winning baseball team when you were eight means that you're twice as likely to support it. So whoever was winning when you were eight, they're the ones that you support. Eight-year-olds love winning. And so therefore, they, re- they want to be the behind the team that loves winning. So therefore, that's really important for, for that eight-year-old fan. And again, we kind of see everything growing out there. This isn't just family. This isn't just friends. They also have a sense of community as well because they might go to a game or they might go with their dad to the pub to watch a game and see that kind of community and feel part of that. They will also see other people wearing the same T-shirts as them on TV and kind of go, oh, that's my tribe. I can see that. So that's why we have this very robust fandom that situates around um, sports. We look to music. So someone like Taylor Swift, you know, what she works quite hard on is her story. You know, a lot you don't get much kind of grit of these big stories or you, or you do but a lot of music artists. They really work on the story. Anyone who's watched an episode of X Factor realizes that 90% of it is a story, story, story. You know, they need something to believe in. They need a story to hook onto. They can't be a fan of this faceless thing. So when you look at someone like Taylor Swift and then you move that over to someone like pitbull who again can be equally as successful in his chart positioning all of a sudden we see that the dynamic of the fandom changes because he doesn't have a story you don't want to be pitbull's friend i don't know you know i don't really know what pitbull's like he might be a lovely guy but you know i don't want to be his friend i don't have that same relationship that i do with taylor swift who works very hard on her stories she works very hard to make herself accessible and and friendly we also looked at lifestyle and lifestyle brands so something like uh, iPhones, uh, uh, Xboxes, we had Nike, we had Ferrari We had quite a few kind of lifestyle brands coming out from our 7 and 8 year olds Who really kind of like that lifestyle side of things Quite interestingly in that younger age, kind of six, seven, eight, What we saw is that the lifestyle brands were driven quite by functionality So they were big fans of iPhone because of what the iPhone enabled them to do They were fans of Nike because they had a sweet pair of Nike trainers that made them run really fast or kick a ball really well in their mind So their relationship at this age was really still quite functional. They weren't really using it as badging. It was part of that. But then as you shift up to more of a 14-year-old fan, a lot of the functional elements just slip away. And all of a sudden, it's just all about badging. You know, why do you have an iPhone? Because everybody has an iPhone, because that's the coolest one, because I'm not going to be the guy without the iPhone. You know, or why do you have those trainers? Because, you know, it's nothing to do. They don't make me any faster. They don't make me any better. But everyone's got them. And therefore, so we see that kind of dynamic change and that dynamic shift. And that's one of the important things with using this model is kind of understanding how your fans change over time, understanding how as their fandom increases and decreases, how that model might change. But sadly, again, it's even not that easy again. You know, we looked at something like Disney. We also looked at someone like Lego. And you get different types of fans in your organisation. So it's not as easy as saying, well, you know, we we see a lot of our clients say, you know, oh, we're trying to reach an eight-year-old girl. You know, go, well... What do you know about them? And they won't often look at it through the lens of fandom. They'll kind of go, well, they've got a media consumption of X or they've got a a, 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 um, a, a media device penetration of Y or this is how they engage with us or not. So someone like Disney, for example, we've got things like this, which is like the real life princess and her model is very different or his model is very different from the Pixar fan. You know, and that's very different from someone like a family bonder who engages with Disney because they all sit down on a Friday night and they all watch Disney together. And their profile is very different from a keen drawer who loves Disney because it enables them to draw and they want to mop and ape that style and therefore it's about skill development. So we kind of see within an organisation that you will have lots of different kind of images and lots of different shapes of that fandom. So it's not as simple as kind of going, this is one, and this is another. You need to understand where those kind of buckets and where those different categories are. And again, Disney's one, Lego's another amazing one. They've just got so many different ways in which there are different shapes of fans and different sizes of fans. So in conclusion, um, being a fan is very important to a child. It's part of their self-development, it's part of understanding who they are it's also how they engage with people it's how they talk to their friends it's the kind of medium within which they exist in a lot of their social interactions we also know that fandom is essential for your property it drives revenue it drives longevity it gives you the benefit of the doubt it helps you with sustainability it helps you with all those kind of revenue things that that are fantastic but um and also so what I would kind of leave you with is that I think everybody actually needs to think about their fan management strategy first of all you know again I do this answer these questions run this through your client base again if you don't want to talk to somebody else. but you know understand who your clients are understand the sort of clients that you want the sort of uh, fan sorry that you want understand this is where I'm trying to get to this is the sort of fan base that I want I don't just want that hardcore I want to make sure they understand who that newbie is and then start understanding how you can then shape those fan journeys so as those fans come in you can kind of understand okay this is where i want these guys to go and this is where i want these guys to go thank you very much